Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Listen for special offers from tonight's sponsors, Harry's, The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com, and Blue Apron. We'd like to thank everyone for their continued support of the show. We're approaching 4 million total downloads just since we moved over to Audioboom as our host 10 months ago, and we're so grateful to all of you guys for getting us this far. Yeah, thanks for keeping us going. This is first and foremost a passion project, well, for Scott mostly, but, but for me too, but it may be growing into a legitimate business, and if that happens, we'll be able to reinvest and make it better, stronger, faster. Wait, wait, wait. Are you are you quoting the $6 million man there? Yes. Maybe. Well, yes, I am. That is awesome. Okay. <laughs> I don't, that's a show I don't understand. It, there's no rerun. Everything in the world is being rerun. Oh, it is being rerun. Or re-ran. No, no. You see, you're on cable, Mr. Fancy Pants. Oh. If you are on over-the-air TV, digital TV like I am, there's yeah. several channels that replay no. old shows from the 70s and 80s. Well, I've seen those too, but I haven't seen The $6 Million Man. Oh, no, no. It, it, had, a whole, it had a whole run, and oh. believe me, it's uh, just as silly now as it kind of was then. All right. But what, you didn't have anything to compare it to back then, so that was cool. Back on topic. Yes. Uh, we, I just want to let everyone know we've laid out a schedule for the remainder of 2016, and we're going to be working feverishly to get all those shows produced. It's, it's a heavy workload. We're also redesigning our website soon, and once that's done, we're going to get a calendar up there. So if you're getting crazy about when we're releasing and not releasing, you can just go there and track. Who's going to do that? Well, we do get a few emails whenever we have a download. Well, I know we have questions, but who's going to maintain the calendar? Uh, well, I'm going to make Google maintain it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll try and stick to it. But yeah. in the meantime, the general rule of thumb will be, as we announced last week, Three shows on, one week off, with some variations for holidays and post-production staff availability. Okay, so now that that business is out of the way, I just want to say that I am super excited about tonight's episode. This is another one of those stories that made me want to develop our show in the first place, which lately, honestly, I feel like I've been saying about every episode, but... Well, it's also hard to believe that we're closing in on almost two years on the air, and we haven't taken a look at a maritime legend yet, so we're going to put that right. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. The craft seemed possessed of the devil to begin with, but where she got it, I don't know. I am sure it couldn't have been from any of our good people. Dr. John W. Dewis, son of Joshua Dewis, the builder of the Mary Celeste, from the story of the Mary Celeste by Charles E.D. Fay. Join us tonight as we dive into the mysterious tale of the Mary Celeste, found seaworthy and completely abandoned in December of 1872. You know what? This story has been on my mind since I first heard it when I was a kid, and I couldn't have been more excited to have put the Astonishing Research Corps on it because they really dug up a lot of stuff that I had never heard before, and I can't wait to share it with our listeners. Well, as they usually do, but it has classic elements of the abandoned, it's not only a ship, Roanoke, yeah, Croatone, any of these abandoned places where people just seem to have have vanished puts a lot of uh, creepiness to the story because it's the end question. Where did they go? What happened to them? 
So I'm going to ask you things as we go along to clarify, because yes, I've also been fascinated with the story. And I want you to clear a few things up that I think are probably just legend. And um, what's the other word for not true? (laughs) Just things about about the story. Again, the classic things uh, that you always hear, which adds some chill to it, which is the kettle was on and steaming as we walked aboard. It's like, we're going to talk about, is that true? Well, let's, let's start with where the story starts. Let's tell the legend first. So we're going to turn the clock back to 1872, November 7th, 1872. The American brigantine, the 100-foot-long Mary Celeste, set sail from Staten Island, bound for Genoa, Italy, with a cargo of whale oil, fusel oil, and 1,701 barrels of what was then referred to as methylated alcohol. There were 10 souls aboard. Seven crew members. Yes. And then the captain and his wife and their two-year-old daughter. Right. Now, a brigantine is a two-masted ship. Yes. uh, Square-rigged, right? Only in the front. It's not fully square-rigged. So it's not like sort of that classic when you think of... Oh, clipper ship. I I think people think of, yeah, Yeah, the big clipper ships. It's not like that. The the front mast, the foremast, I should say, is square-rigged, and the aft mast is what they call fore and aft-rigged. Right. So it has more of the triangular sails on it. It's yeah. kind of like a, an amalgamation between a more modern sailboat and an old square-rigged vessel. It's like half and half. You know, no, I believe they were still in use at the turn of the century, like uh, in yes. 1910. But the idea, though, is that it is a fast-moving uh, yes. a fleet. It's a, fle- a ship of quickness and preferred by pirates a lot, right? Yes. Because well, they, it, was, it was able to maneuver quickly, and they were smaller, considered smaller lighter ships, even though this particular one was 100 feet long. And right. she was about... 25 feet at the beam, I believe. Right. That's where the name, I, I believe, originates is uh, Brigante, brig, Brigand. Yeah, uh, a fighter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or With a pirate. A, or a pirate, a, exactly. Yes. And right. there's also a brig, which is different. Yes. On the brig, both masts are square rigged. Okay. And we have pictures of it here with the posting. You're going to see the difference. It's actually a very, it's a very beautiful looking vessel. Yeah, yeah. It has the, nice the, the paintings are nice. Yeah. I asked you that because you're going to hear that word a lot. So I wanted to clear that up up front so you know yes. what kind of a ship it is. Now, the other thing, is that a usual cargo ship? Yes. At it's, this it's, particular yeah. time, yes. It, yeah. was a, it was a good ship for, for carrying cargo. Right. Not as large as some of the other cargo ships, but no. it seems a little light on the crew. Well, that's right. It's it's smaller, so it's easier to manage with less people, yeah, which saves sense. you money on all, all kinds per, of things. Provisions are provisions, saved. Yeah. payroll in general, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a good ratio between cargo hold space yeah. and the amount of people required to operate it. However, but it's a workhorse yes, of the oceans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it does take all of those people to make it work, however. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you can single hand by any stretch. Right. Well, the ship kind of having a smaller crew, like seven members, makes me wonder what would ha- would the same outcome happened if it, if it was a larger crew, say there were 14? I often wonder that, you know, uh, it's more a good people. Question. It yeah. depends on which theory you buy into about what did happen, which we're yeah. going to talk about all of them probably in part two, but right. it's hard to say. If more people had been there, maybe something different would have it's happened. It's just the right size, I think, for this story, though. Yeah. Okay. They had set sail on November 7th, 1872, 28 days later. Are you making it? <laughs> is it another? Oh, it's a strange coincidence. Or are you are you hinting at a uh, are you hinting at a biological outbreak on board? Maybe? Well, no, I, I, not necessarily. Zombies. One sea zombies. It's okay. one possibility. Okay. But on December fifth, eighteen seventy two, the Nova Scotian registered brigantine De Gratia, by the grace of God, yeah, right. was reaching along a port tack under command of Captain David Reed Morehouse when he was informed at one p.m 
by both his helmsman and second mate, who had already been looking into the situation, that there was a ship five to six miles off their port bow at 38 degrees, 20 minutes north by 17 degrees, 15 minutes west. Now, this is nearly exactly halfway between the Azores Islands and Portugal. So if you're on Google Maps or you pull up Google Earth and you go and you drop a pin like yeah. right between the Azores, St. Mary's on, in the Azores and yeah. Portugal, you're pretty much exactly where they saw her. That's a good amount of space. She was 430 miles from the Azores and 440 from Portugal. Wow. Okay. So, so. You, you can't see land. No, from either absolutely not. Point. Yeah. No, you cannot oh. see land, but you can see another ship on the horizon at five or six miles away. Yeah, so they go to check this out. Yes, right? yes. Is so, that, no, was that unusual? Is that uh, why would they would they just think that this is another ship on its uh, a way to? Port? It was spotted at first by the helmsman, and he felt like something weird was going on with it. It didn't seem right, like it was yeah. right under sail. Yeah, its yeah. course was a little strange, and it didn't seem like it was behaving properly, even though it was that far away. And you would have to observe it for a little while. And then he got the first mate to take a look, and he looked through the glass, as they used to call it, which mm-hmm. was have been an old-timey telescope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course, at that time, it wouldn't, they, it wouldn't it would be It would just be a telescope. Yeah. <laughs> a spyglass. <laughs> a spyglass, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. And they looked through that, and they were like, no, there's something wrong over here. We need to figure out what's going on. They might need help. So yeah. then that's when they summoned the captain. Captain Morehouse, and right. he came up on deck, and he's like, yeah, we, we need to go over and see what's going on. Boy, that's always a chilling sight. Uh, yeah. When you look at something, and it's like, you get a feeling. You, know? you do get a feeling. And the, you know. They have the added baggage, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. of protecting their own cargo. Right. Now, the De Gratia was loaded with petroleum, and she was about the same size as the Mary Celeste. Yeah, and they're, loaded, they're very similar. Yes. Yeah. They're both brigantines, both loaded by the exact same company, actually, who had arranged the shipping. So she would have had at least, and I'm not super clear on her exact cargo, but she would have had somewhere around 1,700 to 2,000 barrels of petroleum possibly mixed with a few other things. Mm -hmm. So they have to think, well, hey, that vessel needs assistance. However, what if it was overtaken by pirates? We get over there, we get taken. Right, right. On the other hand, there's another thing that's kind of intriguing about it, and that's the whole salvage at sea thing. Yeah. And those laws have been around a long time, and they're still there to this day. And that's, it's, it's basically finders yeah. keepers. There's a whole field of law study devoted just to maritime law. Yes. As you, a lot of, I'm sure you know, but because it is complicated. Very complicated. And it's super interesting because if they can bring it in intact with mm-hmm. its cargo— they're entitled to a percentage of its value. Right, because otherwise it's considered just lost at sea. Exactly. Or they could go over there and get killed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or they could go over there and get killed and lose their cargo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, it's kind of that rule, you know, my dad used to tell me, I think in this day and age it's a little different now with all the serial killer truck drivers or whatever. Uh, Yeah. No offense, truck drivers, Uh, by the way. Or serial killers. We have a fair amount of uh, truck driver (laughs) listeners. I don't want to accept either group. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I don't. And on top of that, this is something that I'm finally going to say on the air because I've said it offline to a few people. If you are a truck driver and you can prove you're a truck driver, you send me a picture of your rig and you with it, I will send you a free hat and several free stickers because you're a great advertisement for us. I have truck drivers in our family. We love the long haul truckers because – and we love to keep them entertained in the dark of night on those lonely roads. Nicely done. There you go. So anyway, so they decide they need to go over and see what's going on with this ship on the horizon. So it's a little bit of their duty but, but at a risk. It is a risk. Oh, yeah. And what I was going to say that I didn't finish before Uh I went on my truck driving tangent (laughs) was that my dad used to tell me, because when I I was a kid, we would go um, on road trips in the desert southwest, 
And he would say, uh, especially on the Indian reservations, it was bad luck not to pick up a hitchhiker. Well, yeah, they're stranded. Yeah, they're stranded in the desert. And so if somebody needed help, you helped them. These days you get on your cell phone and, you know, call the Yeah, let me make a call for you before you get in my car or disappear on the the ride wherever you think you're going. Yeah. They're going to aid this ship. It takes them two hours to overtake her, even though she's only five or six miles away. That was my point earlier about going to Catalina. It's a long... Yeah, it takes a long – well, this is the other thing about sailing. And forgive me for those of you that know how sailing works, and there's a lot of people out there. Or who don't care. Yeah, yeah, or don't care. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Valid point. Okay. That that reminds me to keep it short. Okay. Uh, You can't sail into the wind. You just can't. You You cannot sail directly into the wind. You have to do what's called tacking, which is basically zigzagging. And it's one of the wonderful things about sailing. When you you are tacking, you can get – speed greater than the wind if you do it just right. Mm. And there's a whole thing about fluid dynamics and low pressure on the one side of the sail and how that all works. But the bottom line is you almost never get to just go straight towards what you want to go to when you're sailing. Yeah, right. (laughs) So it's not powered. Yeah, that's not how it works. So they are going to have to tack over probably several times to catch up to this vessel, which they don't know which vessel it is. Yeah, you have no idea. And there's a lot of piracy in this region. Yes. I think historically always always has been. Yes. But imagine the closer you get just as the minutes and the and the you know, as the couple of hours wind down and the closer you get and the the stronger the feeling that there's something's, something's right. wrong. Yeah. And what's going to happen when you board? What are you going to find there? And I on mean, top it's, of it's that, you you have to remember Captain Briggs is traveling with his family. He's got yeah. his wife and a 2-year-old girl yeah. who I'm sure was the apple of his eye. She wouldn't have been on the trip. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of things there because he had a, they had another child who was uh, back in the U.S. who they left at home. Oh, yeah. So well, seven, at least he gets to work with his family yeah. a little bit. Okay. But as they get closer, they can see it yawing slightly, right? Yes. And explain that to us. Yawing is when it's rotated around its axis, but it's still traveling in a forward direction. Kind of like a car skidding on black ice. Right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Or an airplane can yaw. Yeah, I've been when, in when the... there's a lot of crosswind and yeah. they're trying to land and they, they'll land almost diagonally and then pop it straight right before it touches right, down. Exactly. It's yeah. a trick. Yeah. yeah. So the vessel was yawing, which indicated that something was amiss. It seems unattended. It seems the unattended. Okay. So when they get up close to her, they're trying to hail, they're they're calling out to her, trying to see if anyone's aboard no answer, no signs of life on the deck. They can't figure out what's going on. It looks like this vessel, which they now were able to identify as the Mary Celeste, was sailing more or less along her original course towards Gibraltar, which was on the way to mm-hmm. Genoa, completely unmanned. They tried to hail. There's no one uh, responding. Yes. I believe it looks a little disheveled. From yes. from their site? Yes. Before they even got on. We'll get more into that after they board it. But yes, right. she, she wasn't exactly ship-shaped. She wasn't in perfect shape. She yeah. didn't look like everything was hunky-dory. But still traveling. Yeah, but she yeah. was moving forward on her own. Okay. Those dudes got off the Mary Celeste so quick, they left mid-shave. Well, it's the stropping with the straight razors <laughs> and all the, you know, the time that takes. And then the Kraken shows up or a giant squid and you've got to make haste. Yeah. It'll get off. Fortunately, we're not at sea on a ghost ship. And I can safely say under no threat of a giant squid attack. As far as you know. As a result, 
I was able to comfortably shave off five days of cursory research neck beard. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it had yeah. gotten kind of crazy with Harry's just this morning, and it's one of the best shaves I've ever had. My beard is super tough, and in spite of that, I got a close, comfortable shave thanks to Harry's five German-crafted blades, flex hinge, and lubricating strip on their razor, which I got with their Truman starter set. We're about to tell you how you can get the Truman for yourself at a discount using our exclusive promo code LEGENDS. Well, I've been a customer of theirs for over two years now because I got sick of paying the high prices for big name blades, and I'm not going back. Harry's offers factory direct prices with no middleman and no upcharges, and they're half the price of the leading brands. And I gotta tell you, my wife loves how smooth my skin is after a Harry's shave and a little bit of their high-quality post-shave balm. Well, Harry's starter set, called the Truman, is a great option for new customers and an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-bladed German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for the fans of the show that will allow you to get the Truman set for just $10 with free shipping. That's right. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code LEGENDS. Go to harrys.com right now and look for the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code LEGENDS at checkout to get $5 off and help support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. Okay, let's head back out to sea. So once they realize it's the Mary Celeste, there's a whole new set of things going on for Captain Morehouse. Yeah. The captain of the Mary Celeste is a personal friend of his. Uh Uh-huh. And his wife and that captain's wife are friends as well. So this becomes... Oh, gosh, even more, you know, imagine your own friend. It's like, oh, my gosh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. So he decides that he's going to send a dinghy over to investigate her. His first mate... A large, muscular man, according to Lionel Fanthorpe, who is, oh. by the way, one of my favorite. Lionel? Yes. <laughs> and his wife. Yes. Yeah, they're both great writers. They wrote an amazing book called The World's Greatest Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So no, they're really fun to listen to live in an interview, too. <laughs> yeah, like, his accent's amazing. I know. Yeah. And there's other information in, in here that we're also sharing that's coming from another book that I love called Mary Celeste, The Greatest Mystery of the Sea by Paul Begg. That's B-E-G-G. Mm-hmm. I'm referencing uh, some material from both of those, as well as uh, numerous websites and blogs. And believe me, this is one of the most written about mysteries of the ocean. An enduring mystery. Anyway, they send the dinghy over, and according to the Fanthorpes, Captain Morehouse has put his first mate in the dinghy. Oliver DeVoe. Oliver yeah. DeVoe, mm-hmm. who is a giant muscular man who apparently has no qualms about boarding a ghost ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's going to beat up whatever ghosts are there. Right, yeah. and he went over there with uh, second mate John Wright to investigate. They got on the ship, they got on the deck. As they're walking around, they notice the condition of the vessel. And here's what's going on. Yeah. Rumor had it that when they got on the vessel, there was a lifeboat there, still there, but it wasn't, in fact. And the Mary Celeste had a small lifeboat called a yawl. Mm-hmm. It was gone. Now, there were davits on the back of the boat for lowering the yawl. Yeah, remember, they're very heavy still. You yes. have to get it over the side of the ship and into the water yes. with people in it. But the davits were unused. Ah. They actually had taken the railing down. Or the stanchion on the side and put her over the side, put the yawl over the side. Mm -hmm. And clearly they were in kind of a hurry when they did that. That's that's an important factor. Yes. So that's just something to consider. The other thing to note is that the main hatch over the cargo hold was sealed. 
However, there were three other smaller hatches that all appeared to be blown open. Were these uh, access hatches or ventilation hatches? Both. Some of both. There was the hatch in the front, which I can't remember what that's called. Then there was the lazarette, which is a locker that's very close to the helm. Yeah. Not only for storage, but you can go down in it and service the rudder and the steering mechanism. A a service access. Yeah, service access. And then there was a small hatch called a scuttle over the galley. Those three were all open, and the lids were upside down on the top deck. So indicating that they were blown off, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. And the lazarette had been sealed by an iron bar, uh-huh. additionally. Yeah. So there's something to consider. Right. But they're walking around. They're looking all around the deck. They don't see anybody. They go down below, not a soul. No yeah. one anywhere. They check the holes. They check everywhere. There's no one. And not only that, there's no sign of significant trauma. See, now, here's an interesting point. Did you want to find somebody like, oh, well, they died of a disease maybe, or, you know, something quite a quick, or what's more comforting, finding that they'd all passed away, which is disturbing, yeah, or that there's nobody there and there's no answer? Well, that's a very good question. Yeah. So they walked the ship from bow to stern, above and below, on every deck, and not a single soul was found, dead or alive. Not one person. The ship was mm-hmm. empty. Captain Spooner and his wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, Sarah, were all gone, along with all seven crew members. There have been many who said, again, my favorite part, that there was hot food on the table, hot tea and coffee mugs. There was the smell of tobacco lingering in the air. Oh, okay. See, that's and that the, the lifeboat was still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And they were just sitting in the lifeboat having a meal. Yeah. yeah. And they, I don't know, popped into another dimension. But that's... <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, well, we don't know. That can no, that we don't know. be one of the final conclusions. Yeah. That's an added dramatic element of like you get on board and the, the eggs are still warm, the scrambled yeah. eggs, the hot tea, and especially the cloud of tobacco, which means he just then jumped overboard five seconds ago. Yeah. As a story, that adds a lot of creepiness. Like, wait, they were just here like 10 seconds ago? Like, where, right. where did they go? Right. But none of that seems to be true. And a lot of those stories came from a fictionalized version of the story of the Mary Celeste written by one of my favorite authors, none other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yes. creator of Sherlock Holmes. However, it was a short story that he titled The Marie Celeste. Was yes. that, isn't that true? And then that spawned forevermore. It was more well-known as the Marie Celeste yes. by a lot of people. Because, Which is yeah. not what she was actually called. It was no. Mary. I, I don't know if he's if he did that purposefully to kind of change it up enough to uh, make it his own story a little bit and, you know, deflect a little, uh, I don't know. Or maybe he, he uh, just mistook the name. I guess we'll never know. Oh, it's too late oh, to ask him. Okay. And, th- and no one's really sure who she was named for, and we'll have to come back to that. There was there was some belief that it might have been a nun, and there was another possibility too, but it's it's wild speculation. Oh, who, who the name is based on? Yeah. Okay. And that wasn't even the original name of the vessel. Her, no, it wasn't. She launched yeah. under a different name. We'll but, come to that later. Yes, we're going to talk about that later. The long and short of it is there's no people on board. On the deck, there were a lot of lines that were fouled. There were lines that were missing. Overall, she was seaworthy, though. Right. It wasn't so disheveled like there had been a scuffle by pirates and and things are burned and charred and broken. No, it was more like she'd been sailing unmanned and had suffered some damage. Yeah, and like the wind was whipping stuff around. Yes. Knocked over the uh, deck chairs. Well, it appeared... Deck chairs. That was a Titanic. (laughs) No, you know, in your backyard, if you leave it alone for uh, a good good couple of weeks in a windy condition, it looks disheveled. It appeared that maybe her sails had been set for kind of a high wind, which is when there's a higher mm-hmm. wind, you actually either reef your sails down or you don't put them it's all up. It's too powerful. Yeah. If you put them all up, you might break a mast or have problems with control. So she had uh, five sails that had been set whenever she was abandoned. Three of those five had been blown away. 
But yeah. two were still up. They were what was carrying her towards Gibraltar. Right. Still propelling the ship with yes, wind. at a yawed angle. Yes. So that sort of explained why she was going crooked because yeah. the, t- the two that were intact were actually way out on the bow. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. They, so they it's were, leading. One was pulling, a jib and the yeah. other one was like right behind the jib. It's pulling the nose of the boat, you could say, yeah. off angle. When they go down below, I told you about the hatches already. So they go down below and they're looking around in the cabin and they're finding all kinds of interesting things, including that, by the way, there was a skylight in the captain's cabin that was mm-hmm. open additionally. They could tell from looking around that everybody had left in a great hurry. So that was evident. Yeah. As they poke around, they are noticing that it's not like they left for another ship for some reason, got on, safely had some time to do it. They left in a hurry. Yeah, they left fast. And some of the things that they saw were they saw shaving kits were out. Like they, they were not kits, but razors yeah. and, and strops. Yes, yeah. strops. And they <laughs> and they hadn't finished shaving. So perhaps sometime in the morning that would indicate. Yes, and there was a vial of medicine out that had the lid off, and the lid hadn't even been put back on it. Ah. Uh-huh. And one of the most significant things that is a real detail, even without the fictionalized details, this is probably, for me, one of the spookier things, mm-hmm. on the sewing machine was a little dress for Sophia Matilda oh. that Sarah had been sewing and wasn't finished. It was partially made. It was still there. It was yeah. like it had been left mid-work. And next to it, there was a vial of sewing machine oil uh-huh. that was still upright. And that's significant because although I've not seen a particular description of this vial, I have looked at some of the sewing machine oils from the <laughs> 1800s. Yes, one of our ARC members, I'm sure, gave you like <laughs> a whole treatise on that. Uh, yeah, well, it's pretty interesting. Oil. I mean, some of them look kind of like the uh, metal cans with the spouts that do have a wide base the oil and wouldn't can, fall yes. over anyway that, you know. If it had encountered very rough seas, which yes. maybe had tossed people overboard, it didn't seem to be the case. Well, that's what I'm saying. The other vials of sewing machine oil were little glass yes. bottles that have a very small footprint. And if and if indeed that was the kind it was, not only did it not encounter rough seas, it yeah. hardly encountered any kind of seas at all if yeah. that little thing didn't fall over. And right. there was also, I think, a sewing machine spool possibly or something still else that, hadn't, that was still upright yeah. as well. That gives weight to the story that things were left in a hurry and it seemed sort of sudden and also like people were maybe just in another room and we're going to come back. A quick getaway, but not a violent one in a way. Right. But, yeah. As I'm piecing this the together. hatches that like were open on well, the deck. And no. by the way, there was water. I should, I want to point that out too. Yeah. On the upper decks, there was about a foot of water inside. Okay. And down in the main hold, there was three and a half feet of water. Okay. Which sounds to, if you're not a boating person, you'd be like, oh my God, that's crazy. But yeah. it's actually not for a vessel this size. It wouldn't. No, there's always water that they have to bilge pump. Yeah. That's why you yeah, have bilge pumps because yeah. all boats leak. Right? Right. Or they certainly did at this point. And most still do. Yeah. So you have a pump that pumps out any water that comes in. But in addition to that, this water, three and a half feet of water in the hold is not enough to make her unseaworthy or cause any sort of abandoned ship type of situation. Yeah. What you're saying is that it's natural sailing conditions for the most part. Yeah. Aside from the, you know, the damaged sails and all that kind of stuff, it, it just seemed like they took off in a hurry. They took off in the yawl. They took the yawl off the boat sideways instead of taking her back to the davits off the stern and lowering it. And they were just gone. And not only that, some of the navigational gear was gone. The compass had been destroyed, but the oh. other other stuff that they had had was gone, including paperwork. Oh, and that's the charts? other thing. Yeah. Charts? Well, there were charts that were missing, but there was also a chart on the first mate's table that was in the middle of a navigational computation. Mm-hmm. Unfinished work, again. Well, some charts are missing. Yes. 
that would be standard. The compass was broken, but how? It got smashed by something, and I can't remember what. But, it, but it possibly was natural, yeah, not sabotage. No, it did not appear to be sabotage. What I'm getting at here, if you're going to leave in a hurry, what are the important things to take with you if you're boarding another boat, another vessel? Charts? Navigation, some charts, some Most importantly, a compass. A compass, yes. Yeah, a sextant. Yeah. If you had it. Yeah. They're leaving in a hurry, but, the, and maybe but not some, stupidly. Yeah. And here's and the not, other thing. And not in a love kind of way. No, not, but close. They, well, yeah, they left yeah. behind a lot of personal items. There were sea chests all on the vessel for a lot of the crew members. The yeah. sea chests had all their most personal stuff in it. Yeah. There were pipes, which no sailor at this time <laughs> would get off a boat without their pipe. No, my, the, the scenario, though, it's an emergency of some kind because you stop to take things that you know you're going to need for survival yes. for that moment and on. Yes. But you don't have time to like dig through and, and get out your photo books. You right. Know? And, and not that they would have those then, but for, <laughs> actually at that time, yes, they could have. For but, whatever yeah. reason, there was clearly an urgency for them to get off. In a kind of professional manner, I would say. You stop computation, but you don't finish sewing the dress, but we have to get off now. Exactly. As quickly as possible. Exactly. Okay. Now, tell me about the log that they found, because I believe the last entry was dated 10 days before that? Yes, November 24th or was the last entry, I believe, or November 25th, and everything had been fine. It was a fairly normal log, but after that, there were no more entries. And okay, tell, tell me two things here before. What was the, uh, the last entry of the log? I don't know exactly what the last log entry said, but I do know that what it had indicated that they had been through some heavy weather for two weeks to get to the Azores. But okay. they were now, and the last log entry had said, I believe it said that they had sighted St. Mary's Island, which is one of the Azores. Okay, so nothing out of the ordinary. No, and it's interesting because the De Gratia had passed north of the Azores and the Mary Celeste oh. had passed south. So what happened is as they got past, when, when the De Gratia was past them and, and heading southerly towards Gibraltar, uh-huh. That's when they sighted the Mary Celeste. Ah, so they sort of point. came together on yeah. the backside or on the eastern side of the Azores, halfway between the Azores and Portugal. So normal plotting, normal course. Yeah. And that's a weird thing is that it's still on its way, yeah. <laughs> kind of as intended. So here's my other question. How often is a captain supposed to make a log entry? Daily, at least. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here we have a good indicator of time. Yes. They reached the boat. The last entry was 10 days later. Yeah. So you think that maybe they They'd were been at off least, the boat for at, at least, least 10, 10 days. days. Yes. Yeah. So really likely. not that long. No. But, but the boat was found 500 miles from the last reported position in the log. Okay. So doing the math on that, right. by the way, and the ARC looked into this and we checked this out. So essentially it had gone roughly 56 miles a day in theory. And the speed there, the currents, and Cogswell, who is our resident scientist and... <laughs> Not a to, sailor? Nah, yeah, loves to <laughs> drill down on this kind yeah. of stuff. But he figured out all the currents and looked at all the currents in the area and the prevailing winds and everything. But the average drifting speed would have been uh, one and a half to two knots. So let's say yeah. two knots, which is about two... Walking speed? It's 2.3 miles an hour. Yeah. So over 24 hours then she would have drifted about 55, a little over 55 miles. So wind and current notwithstanding, it's totally plausible that she in 10 days would have gone 500 miles from the Azores to that halfway point between the Azores and Portugal. So that makes sense. Yes. So 10 days adrift with no one on board. Right. 
fits within that model. Yes. And the other thing that we can we can say, it appeared the sales had been set to bring her to a little bit, to actually induce Counter, the yaw yeah. on purpose uh-huh. to make it easier to launch the yaw off the port side. Uh-huh. So you sort of bring her up a little bit and you put the sails into a position that would allow you to get A little off. more room. Yeah. yeah. But the sails had also been set kind of for high wind as well. So there's some it's, it's a possibility that they were in a higher wind situation and then they made changes to the sails to get the yaw off safely from the beam instead of off the stern. Some adjustments were made yes. to abandon ship, it yes. seems. yes. As we go along here, folks, we are going to try and not put theories to rest, but paint a better picture, a fuller, more complete picture. And then, as always, you can decide. Right. So not maybe swept off the boat instantaneously. Yeah. Seems like some preparations were made quickly, but things were left incomplete. But they had time to grab a few things, essential items, it seems, adjust the sails to set the lifeboat down. Yes. And it had only been drifting for about 10 days. That does make sense, right? Yes. So during those 10 days, the weather is tossing the ship a little, but not too much. No, and she took, but she took water on. Yeah. For whatever reason. Now, whether or not those hatches were open when they abandoned ship, or they somehow became open after they abandoned ship, or they caused them to abandon ship, for whatever reason, at some point, the seas were high enough that water did enter the holds on both decks. Do you think three feet of water in the hold could accumulate naturally in 10 days? Or does that seem a lot? Well, I mean, it's it does three seem and a lot. half feet. It's up to your waist. It certainly could if the pumps weren't operational. How often is the crew supposed to uh, bilge that thing? Daily? Well, bilge pumps are, should be always operating. At this time in the yeah. 1870s, they had pumps that should have been operating. However, I believe one of them they thought had been fouled because there was a prior right. trip where they had transported coal. And the coal dust had possibly clogged caused, clogged up one of the bilge pumps. Right, right. Still, not a reason to abandon ship, by the way. No. If that had happened prior. The other thing is, she could have been bone dry when they got off and filled up with water after they left. Right. Especially right. with open hatches and being underway. Yeah. But the bottom line is, whatever drove them to get off the ship, it drove them to get off in a hurry. Yeah. Whether that was a giant squid or the, the, the Kraken <laughs> right? or that, UFO <laughs> and they came down yeah. and they opened the door and said, get on. I think all of those things are immediate <laughs> exits. You know, like yeah. UFO, even UFO. Yeah. Yeti. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Could have been a footprint. Yeah. See Yeti. I have a theory on the squid thing, which I will uh, release on my own, along okay. with the Kraken. I'm Part sure. two, folks. <laughs> so anyway, what we're seeing here is not so mysterious to me. I mean, I know it's creepy, and, yeah. and it's kind of, we just had this conversation before we started, because we're kind of hashing out the tone and each of our directions as we're going to discuss this. I kept saying to him when he, he said, yeah, we got to do the Mary Celeste, but find me the ghost and ghost ship. Where, yes. Where's the spookier part of this? If I were getting on board a ship and I noticed that no one's on board, I'd be a little scared to go down into the hold. You don't know what you're going to find down there. Could be zombies. Like I said before, when we were having that discussion, and we're going to come around to this, there's a lot more to this story than just this abandoned ship. That's the part that we find for you, the listener. Yes. Is a little bit of extra that really puts the punch in it. But what we see here is is certainly a mystery, and it's a tragedy. And it's unsolved to this day. Exactly. It's unsolved to this day. There is uh, there is not, nor has there ever been, any sign 
of the lifeboat or any of the people that abandoned the ship. Right. Not one trace, not one piece of clothing, not one piece of flotsam, not one piece of jetsam. Do you know <laughs> right. the difference between the two? One floats, one's on land. No, yes, flotsam and no. jetsam. One's debris you find in the water. Jetsam, I believe, is debris that is washed up on shore. <laughs> really? Yeah. Flotsam. Are they two Danish cartoon characters? <laughs> no. No, there is. There. I think that is true. Okay, yeah. maybe it is. Go ahead. But flotsam is what's left behind, like when a vessel sinks or accidentally yeah. or something. Jetsam is stuff that's floating that you've intentionally put overboard. Oh, okay. So that the second part I did not know, or or no, no, clearly I did know right. the uh, the first part is like it's like a submarine. Yeah. What movie was that? They jettisoned the mattresses. Probably every submarine movie where they're trying to fake having it gotten uh, oh, sunk. Oh yeah, yeah. And so that oh. would be the jetsum part. I knew that. Where you're you jettisoning. Yes. Yeah, so you uh, yes. You release the depth charges. You see the explosion. Yes. They didn't really get you, but it's the captain says, load the torpedo tubes full of debris, mattresses, things that'll float. This stuff comes to the surface. They think, ah, oh, we got them. We should probably move on. Probably DOS boot or something, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it, like I said, probably every one of those. But <laughs> but uh, the Jetsum, no, I thought that that was debris that had washed and made itself on land. But you're saying that is, that's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. It's garbage. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So here's the, the difference then. There's no trace at all. Uh, you often hear stories where... There is no sign of people yeah, for but, a while. But, but technically, this really isn't that far offshore for debris to vanish. You know, okay. well, okay, here's a, here's a question wooden, of right, wood wait. floats. About the currents, though. Yeah. Where was the natural well, path? Well, that's a valid point, and that's another thing that Cogswell brought up. The currents yeah. do work from north to south there. All However, right. in the area of the Azores, they can yeah. be very multidirectional. Uh -huh. They can cancel each other out. There's a whole wave or section there, I should say, of currents that counteract each other. It's There's, unpredictable. But on trade routes, a lot of things typically can go very far south. And it's interesting you should say coconut that. Coconut fibers? Yeah, right. <laughs> Migratory coconuts. <laughs> okay. Migratory coconut fibers. Yeah, right. Traveling north. Traveling down to... Nova Scotia. Yeah, up to Nova Scotia, I should say. But the thing that complicates finding anything that's lost is current. And oh, sure. that seems like a dump. Oh, duh. Of course, I know that. But <laughs> there are people who have said, well, for example. MH370? MH370 is one. But also going back even to the Bermuda Triangle, yeah. the current that runs off the east coast of the United States there is incredibly strong and fast. Yeah. So when a vessel or an airplane or whatever hits the water, instead of sinking, it goes down a little bit and then it takes a whole nother trip. Yeah. Like a long, long, long way. Right. And by the time it hits the bottom, it is so far out of position, you've almost got no chance of finding it. Uh -huh. Unless you know exactly what speed the current was going, exactly where it hit, and you have all that data and you can put it together, which is part of the reason they can't find MH370. And it may be part of the reason they can't find Flight 19. Yeah. However, Flight 19 may have also crashed in the Everglades. But they're, they're, I, I choose on that one in particular, I choose to believe the uh, the Spielberg version because <laughs> it's just more fun and exciting. Yeah, yeah. it is. We'll, we'll handle that, that story. We've Sooner had, or later, we have we, to do we, Flight 19. Yeah, yeah. We've had suggestions to cover that one. Yeah, that one, it was a training mission. And yeah, every single flight, one, I can't remember how many planes, five or six or what, they all vanished. But and, what's and weird, on top of that, they were reporting wonky uh, compass problems as well. Exactly. So it's not just we were pointed the wrong way and we ended up in Orlando. Yeah. It's they got lost, strange electronic phenomenon happening, and the rescue flight 
sent to at least one of them yeah also went missing yeah just to tease you but we love things that go missing unexplained kind of things as but long as we're one, not on them <laughs> no i don't want to be anywhere near them yeah certainly it's it's uh, like i said it's it's tragic people it's, go yeah missing. it's hard on the families and they don't come back the same age aboard a ufo yeah 30 years later they don't ever come back yeah nowhere in the world has anything ever washed up yeah even with mh370 debris yeah. is washed up yeah even though they can't find it, and they've called that search off. That's the thing. There's junk all over the world. This also fascinates me. It's like Howland Island, uh, Amelia. Yeah. You know, people love that episode. You find weird things, freckled creams and shoes and yeah. beads and uh, and who knows what century it's from. Yeah. So there's crud all over the earth and certainly a lot of our garbage. But, you know, aside from all that, nothing ever tying itself to this case. And I think that's also why this mystery is so enduring, as we as we said before. What happened? What happened? One of my favorite things about doing Astonishing Legends is that we're constantly learning something new. It's the best part of our job, and it never gets old. That's why we love our regular sponsor, The Great Courses Plus, and we keep telling you guys about them. The Great Courses Plus gives you unlimited, on-demand access to stream video lectures on thousands of topics presented by award-winning professors. You can learn about World War II, medieval Europe, or even the Vikings. Or explore new interests like photography, or even how to draw. And you can stream these short video lectures on your schedule, wherever you are, from any device. I love that part of it. We want you to sign up so that you can start watching courses like the one we just watched, The Skeptic's Guide to American History. That's a great set. I'm actually now on lecture number 20 called, Was the Cold War Inevitable? Well, it's, it? <laughs> it's, it's super fascinating. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever really understood that North and South Korea's governments were established by Russia and the U.S. respectively. And that's why when North Korea invaded South Korea in 1950, the whole thing was really just Russia attacking the U.S. vicariously. And it nearly started World War III. I don't remember them mentioning that on MASH when I was a kid. Well, they, they <laughs> did. You probably just didn't put it in context then. Yeah. Well, right now, as one of our podcast listeners, you'll immediately get a free month of unlimited access to all of the Great Courses Plus lectures when you sign up. Don't wait. Start your free month today. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Okay, let's climb back on board the Mary Celeste story. Okay, so here's an important place everyone goes to, the galley. What was that like? Was there food left out at all? Because, again, my favorite thing, whistling tea kettle and scrambled eggs with a little bit of uh, Cholula yeah, sauce. None, no, no. none of that was going on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, was In there... fact, it was clean. It was clean. It was clean, it but was from the night before, shape. maybe it doesn't make much difference. But well, again, the razors are a big clue to me because it's the, the stopping. morning. Yeah. It's the morning. So. I didn't read a lot of speculation about what time people seem to think they got off the vessel. But the fact that people were taking medicine and that the razors were out for shaving, yeah. it does seem like a morning oh. time thing. And yeah, the medicine, galley was medicine clean. in the morning. Yeah, yeah it could have been pre-breakfast or it could have right. been after breakfast. But I get the feeling it was like early in the morning. That's what it I, I think you know. so. Yeah, guys are getting up there shaving. You might be able to tie this into something later, but we're establishing a timeline, much like Sherlock Holmes would do. Yeah. Pre-breakfast, the light of the morning coming through, you wouldn't be shaving at night. Doesn't make any sense. You shave yeah. in the morning. There's a phrase that I'm really surprised that you didn't know this before, but I'd heard this since I was a little kid. Red light at morning, sailor's warning. 
Red skies at night, sailors delight. I never said I hadn't heard that. Of course I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, I, I swear, folks. He, he did. I first mentioned it, and you said, like, oh, I never heard that before. No, but, I've totally heard that. We must me. have been talking about something. No, yeah. I heard it from Chapman's piloting guide. Really? Yeah. Then why did you say you didn't hadn't heard it? I. It doesn't have much effect on the story. Of you okay. are mistaken. Sir. No, I, I, my memory is like a steel uh, gunnel. <laughs> so <laughs> we're trying to rule out. Bad weather, a rogue wave. Well, Flannel Island, that's a big theory for that particular mystery. People getting swept away by a wave that's unusually high. If you don't know what Forrest is talking about there, that is a famous story about an island with uh, a lighthouse that had three keepers three on keepers, it. Three keepers, all yeah. vanished. All vanished. A lo- lovely vanishing person story with the half entry of the log. Yeah. All these stories have similar kind of setups because people are in the middle of something when something unexpected happens and they have to attend to something else or unexpectedly get swept away. So what we're trying to say here is that it didn't seem like a, yeah, a giant rogue wave, which is an unexpected, it's like a sound wave. Yes. Uh, but, but it, so you might get a wave that's like 30, 40 feet tall out of nowhere. And they've been proven and we actually made reference oh, to right. them in yeah. one of our very early episodes about the Queen Mary. Yeah. Poseidon adventure. Yeah. Okay. So we're trying to rule out that they all got swept off, off the deck while looking at the, uh, the sunrise and that's how they all disappeared at once. By the way, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. the other thing is the odds of all of them being on deck at the same time are slim to nil. Exactly. They gathered before yes. they vanished somehow. There was a gathering. They all didn't just get picked off one by one by some you – know, That's in the movies, that's what would happen. Well, yeah, and some people yeah. have speculated about the giant squid or the kraken yeah. or whatever it was that came along and picked them off one by one. <laughs> crunch, crunch, crunch. Mm, delicious. Yeah. Let me grab another one. If you're – crewmates or your family and friends are becoming snacks for something, <laughs> you, the last thing you're going to do yeah. is go up on deck, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think you're, yeah. But not, I guess not the tentacles possible. can come through the... If it's a movie. Yeah. yeah. Or or yeah. Jules Verde, they shot the... Uh, do you know the, when... The, the, oh, there was the dinosaur that they, uh, yeah, they shot and they had it for steaks later, at least yeah. in a movie. The well, kid, you know. and you know what, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, I did not know, and maybe we've mentioned this before, I can't remember, but that I always used to think that it was the depth... Yeah. It's not. It's absurd. There is no 20,000. It's, it's yeah. that they traveled right. a distance of 20,000 leagues. Laterally. Under the sea. Yes, yes. laterally, which like, is a long way. That's right up there with bedrock. <laughs> no, I, I know. <laughs> no, when you're a kid, you don't know. You yeah. don't know these terms. Yeah. That's what freaked me out with Lake Baikal. 4.3 yeah. miles of sediment. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that a lot of dirt. A, that's a lot of who knows what's under there. Yeah. Under the water, who knows what's under there, but it doesn't seem to be anything too crazy. Now, we'll address these later because some of these theories that sound kind of crazy are Turns out when pos- you take a plausible. closer yeah. look at them, they, they start to make a little more sense, but uh, yeah. more than one of them, actually. We're building the case here that, uh, you know, establishing time of day, yes. movement of the passengers and crew yes. all together. And also, it doesn't seem like in the galley that breakfast had been made yet. Yeah, Okay. And, and here's something else we can talk about. Before, we're going to get more into the theories in the in the next part of this series. But one of the things that you can come back to, because we mentioned it before, is that the captains were friends. And their wives yeah. were friends. And yeah. they were family friends. And that the crew was respected and not thought to be a scurvy lot. You know, they were <laughs> – there was no red flags in terms of – the possibility oh, the other, of yes. yeah maybe the maybe they well, overtook because this piracy is, yeah well there's piracy in general yeah which you know could be an issue but then there's also because of the salvage laws and the and the money you can get from bringing in a salvage yeah the the possibility that a captain overtaking a vessel in trouble 
might do better if there was only a straggler or a weak survivor left behind to put them off the boat and take the ship in for salvage. That is another theory and one that was fresh at the time. We just feel like it's not likely between these two guys who were friends. And also they didn't seem like they were languishing. I mean, if you're you're making this long journey, they'd been sailing a month, right? Yeah. Plenty of food left yeah, in the they galley. Had six months food and fresh water. And there was nothing wrong with it. There was no reason to get off the ship well, for that. Well, again, as we go along, it, we'll recap all these theories because there's a lot of them. Uh, Ergotism, yes. uh, making them all go crazy, dancing for days off the deck of the ship. Yes. As in the other, <laughs> the dancing <laughs> craze of the uh, Middle Ages. Yes. That's what's even stranger is that it seems pretty normal. The scene that these guys are seeing doesn't seem too drastic. Like I said, doesn't seem violent. No, it's, there's it's, no it's, blood. It's sudden, but orderly. And, yeah, exactly. And one thing that we didn't mention, and it's going to come up later, is that there was some belief that possibly there was a mutiny. This is one of the theories that yeah. we'll get into yeah. more depth later. But the reason that they thought this was because the sword, the captain's ceremonial sword, yeah. was thought to have blood on it. Oh, well. Uh, and so oh, they were like, oh, see, it was blood. <laughs> but, and then it was put back in the scabbard. And then also they saw some cut marks on the railing on the deck or something like that. Well, he could be just whittling. You know? Yeah, it was a stretch. And then I guess upon further analysis, they concluded that the what appeared to be blood on the sword was not blood at all. It was rust. And it was likely caused by cleaning the sword with lemon, which was a common practice. So ruling out one of my favorite things, no hot food on the table. Right. Which wouldn't have made much of a difference. I mean, if it's... If, Suddenly you have to, there's an emergency, you have to get off the ship, abandoned ship. That rules out the tea kettle whistling as they board again. But that's a huge creepy factor, but more of a story point, you know. Yes. So here we have really just not many clues, but nothing sensational really. No, other than the fact that they're just gone. Okay, so what happens to the Mary Celeste? What what happens next? Well, you know, obviously they're, they're concerned about the missing people. Well, sure. They're gone, but they don't really have – they're not in a position. They're carrying a cargo. They can't mount a search to look for those guys. And you were right, by the way. In the yawl, they had taken the sextant and a chronometer, the two vital instruments to navigation, and most of the ship's papers were gone. However, saying that these things are missing could also lead some people later to believe – that covering up a foul play. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to come up in a minute. But the next thing that happened was they have to decide what to do with this abandoned vessel. Now, they're sailing with not a huge crew either because they're sailing a pretty much a, an almost identical kind of ship. So what happens is Captain Morehouse takes three of his guys off the De Gratia and puts them on the Mary Celeste and he decides he's going to take her in for salvage. Under maritime law, when you bring a ship in for salvage, which we talked about this a little bit earlier, you're entitled to a percentage of its value for recovering it. Figuring that it would have just been lost to the ocean had you not done that, so you should get something anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He sent Oliver DeVoe, the big guy, along with two other guys, Augustus Anderson and Charles Lund, over to the Mary Celeste to sail her back to Gibraltar. For salvage. Okay. Now, following close behind, right? Yeah. And and this is a very risky operation because both vessels are now on a skeleton crew. Both cargoes are now at risk. And the Mary Celeste needed a fair amount of work just to get underway. Yeah. Again, it was disheveled. Yeah. Unkempt. So they were able to stay pretty close together. This is an 800-mile trip that they're having to undertake. Still a long ways to go. Yeah. But then eventually a storm came up. And they got separated. Uh-oh. And the Mary Celeste was out of sight for the De Gratia. And you can imagine what 
Captain Morgan. The three is guys. Thinking, well, both of them. Yeah, really. everybody's yeah. like, Ooh, you know, freaking out. <laughs> yeah. And the De Gratia sails into Gibraltar. Twelve hours later, the Mary Celeste arrives. Well, that's not bad. Not bad. Yeah. But this is a well, time a and long... age. There's, there's no cell phones. There's <laughs> yeah. no satellite phones. It'd be it's a like, long twelve hours. Yeah. You're yeah. like, is it ever coming? Yeah. And did I lose not only this vessel, but three of my men? And then you got to explain what happened to those three men. Then you look like, well, I, I killed all three <laughs> well, of them. And then no, I told that was, a story about the Mary Celeste. Exactly. That was one of the prevailing theories at the time with the courts. Yeah. What happened, guys? What did you do now? You you brought this thing back in? and Yeah, uh, that's the thing. No good deed goes unpunished. With the ships, though, imagine being the three guys on the ghost ship. Again, that's kind of – there's something about that, being in an abandoned – Oh, yeah. Well, that's why you put Oliver in there. He's big. The big guy who's not afraid of punching ghosts. Yeah, he's going to uh, help. I don't know why, but when I heard this description of Oliver Devoe, I pictured one of the guys from Wages of Fear. You know, yeah, which is (laughs) a great movie we uh, make reference to. Uh, Yes, yeah, he's the big sturdy guy, but still, that's pretty light. A lot of the tasks on a ship like that require seven guys working in concert. Right. Here's the other thing about the salvage. You know, usually with a salvage title, the story is that the vessel is barely recoverable or it's in such bad shape that they have to recover the cargo but not the vessel. Almost never was there a case where a ship was brought in that was pretty much seaworthy and ready to go, just missing the entire crew. So you have to think about what the court system was thinking, what these people in Gibraltar were thinking. It's like like you said a minute ago, you're bringing this ship in, where are the people that were yeah. on it? <laughs> That's kind of hard it, to explain, maybe. Yeah. It, it is. And it, later, as you do the larger investigation, you might say, oh, they were friends. This seems unlikely yeah. that he murdered his friend to try to steal his boat full of denatured alcohol. It's, right, because, Which wasn't even his boat. It belonged to somebody. Well, he owned shares in it, but it belonged yeah. primarily to another gentleman named Winchester, who we're going to talk a lot about in part two. But yeah. yeah. Things to keep in mind, the Mary Celeste has... It's full cargo, undisturbed. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a merchant ship. I have to look it up, but I believe the value of the cargo was and the ship was around $46,000 back then. Back then, yeah. yeah. Altogether a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, so think about this. If Captain Morehouse and Captain Benjamin Spooner, the captain of the Mary Celeste, were indeed friends, family friends... He's also going to have his wife and daughter walk the plank. So yeah, that's pretty just cold. Doesn't seem likely. No. And, but there was a guy named uh, Solly Flood who was the head of the proceedings in Gibraltar. Yeah, and he was convinced there was foul play. Oh, really? And there was a four-month-long investigation. They really yeah dove into it and tried to determine whether or not something was up. And Flood seemed to think that the De Gratia. There was something afoot there. Based just on his gut feeling? Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's reasonable to think that. Looking now back on it, hindsight, in the the bigger picture, to me anyway, based on everything that we've read, it seems unlikely. But It seems very strange. Yeah. But the ultimate effect was that the long court investigation actually decreased the value of the salvage dramatically, I believe. That's right. Yeah, because it took so long. It's like, eh, now this thing's, what are you, down to like $3,000, $4,000, I think, for the whole thing? Yeah, because yeah. the cargo's languishing, the ship is languishing, uh, and the owner of the ship was at a point where he's like, how am I going to get this back? Yeah. And you guys can just keep it. And he had, had left a captain behind, actually, uh, to uh, uh, recover it. And eventually they settled and they returned the ship to him. Yeah. So, so it didn't, if it was a ploy, it didn't work out real well. Yeah. Yeah. They awarded the salvage money, but they awarded a very small percentage 
of it, which the actual was worth. kind of an indication of ongoing thoughts of guilt with regard to the crew of the De Gratia. Yeah, right. Not a very successful uh, grift here, but that did happen a lot. Yeah. As we'll see later, it does involve the ship as well. And the De Gratia went on to sail to its destination, and and we're going to talk more about that and Captain Morehouse later. It does get more interesting. It does, and there's a lot to this, which is why we're breaking this one into a couple of different parts. But one of the most fascinating aspects of this story. And I, I think this is really interesting because as a former like day sailor, and which by the way, yeah. I have to <laughs> let you know that in terms of yeah. respect at sea, I'm on the absolute below the bottom rung. It's like being a day camper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went home and slept in my own bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm, but not, no, you, I'm not no. claiming the, to have a lot of experience at sea, but I can tell you one thing that even I know. You don't change the name of a vessel. Of course. Ever. And why, Scott? It is bad, 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 bad luck yes. to change the name of a vessel. And, and sailors so, are a superstitious lot. They really are. And I would like to point out that the Mary Celeste was built about 60 miles west, as the crow flies, uh-huh. of Oak Island, Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. And a little village called Spencer's Island yeah. on the Bay of Fundy. Your favorite term. Yes. Your favorite, your, I think one of your first things to make fun of. Yeah. <laughs> the Fundy Bay. Yeah. Uh, and it was built there on in Spencer Village by a man named Joshua Dewis, and it was the first ship he ever built. Yeah. Model number one. So uh-huh. I, I don't know. As, again, as a car guy, one of yeah. the first things they tell you is never buy the first year of a new design. Yeah, well, I didn't buy the first iPod either. Yeah. Or the first iPhone. I have a car that was is the first year of a new design, and I've had it since 1993, and it runs great, so. Well, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, but that's the difference here. I think a ship, they've been building ships for quite a long time. They didn't and even have a lumber yard where this yeah. was, so it was hand cut. This ship was built by hand. Yeah, I'm sure it was fine. But <laughs> here's here's an important yeah. factor about it. Some people, actually a lot of people, including me, yeah. <laughs> feel like that ship was cursed. Possibly, yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now that it starts with the day that she first put to sea and was christened. But Near even, Oak Island? Yeah, okay. 60 miles west of Oak Island. But in addition to that, her name was Amazon. She was not christened to Mary Celeste. Yeah. So there's a name change in there, which brings me to a list of some superstitions that I would like to talk about here in part one of our show. It's a long, fun list. But you know what? If you sail, you probably do a lot of these things yourself just out of tradition. And now a word from one of our new sponsors. You know, these days, you can get practically everything on demand. Like our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So, why are you still making time-consuming trips to the post office when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. 24-7. Well, I certainly needed it at my daily job when we do uh, sales training sometimes. When participants complete that sales training, they get a certificate. Well, there's over 11,000 of these things to ship out. So oh, what are we going to you know, peel those 11,000? <laughs> it's a lot of licking. Stan- <laughs> yes, back in the day when people did lick stamps, I would have been dead. But you don't have to do that now. 
These days, you can use Stamps.com like we did to complete that postage. That's right. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code LEGENDS for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in LEGENDS. That's Stamps.com. Enter legends. Okay, so let's talk about this list. I took this off the internet, and I usually like to source things and like say where they came from. I cannot figure out the origin of this list, which is as it should be with all superstitions. <laughs> yeah, taken with uh, a grain of it sea salt. It is republished word for word on several blogs yeah. with no one taking credit for it. So we're just going to go ahead and put it in the podcast here. Well, they, they all sound wait good. Wait for the cease and yeah. desist. But, uh, <laughs> from, from who, Davy Jones? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> who's going to complain about it? It's like, you no, know, it's a red ship. That's a, You don't paint a boat red. Is that on there? No. Um, I know a lot of these. Number one, a figurehead in the form of a naked woman perched on the bow calms the sea and her open eyes will guide it to safety. Yeah, I like a, that one. A naked woman <laughs> on board was thought to be good luck. This is the reason for naked figureheads. Uh-huh. Tattoos and piercings are said to ward off evil spirits. Uh-huh. Well, you have a lot of ink. You should be I do. perfectly I'm, safe. I'm devoid. Ship. I'm still not going to Greyfriars. <laughs> Even okay. with the tattoos and your piercings? I don't have any piercings. <laughs> well, neither do for I. sailors yeah. to wear gold hoop earrings was good luck. Well, that's the classic pirate image, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. of course You got is. the, uh, not only the eye patch, but you got the gold hoop earring. Yeah. Well, gold in itself is protective, so there you go. Any kind of silver, very protective. Gold's protective. Yeah. Designs and images feature prominently in the protection of a ship. I can't remember what culture it is, but they paint eyes on the bow of their ship so the ship can see rightly. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if that's a Southeast Asian or I can't remember who does that. But, yeah, uh, but it's I feel very cool. like it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, I, I feel like it is Asian in origin at least. Yeah. yeah. Every culture has their own myriad superstitions the sea is a very dangerous place very dangerous more dangerous than you can possibly imagine because you're not really supposed to be out there i think Uh, but we but we figured it out and uh, we successfully navigated the uh the the world's oceans but you have to be careful and you have to give it proper respect well it's incredibly unforgiving it's kind of like flying an airplane or a helicopter, or yeah. riding a motorcycle. Scuba diving. You only get one mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't really pull over. <laughs> what do you do before you set sail? Is any, anything You're supposed in? to spit in the ocean uh-huh. for good luck. Just adding know. adding to the, the liquid, I guess. I can't imagine who started that one. Well, this is one I've heard of. A coin's thrown into the sea as a boat leaves port is a small toll to Neptune, the sea god, for a safe voyage. Oh, very nice. Any, anytime you're throwing coins, you know, you're spreading the money around. Maybe that's how throwing coins in fountains started. I think it's tied to that, yeah. Again, you're tithing to the uh, to nature and the, uh, the forces of the earth. Horseshoes on a ship's mast will turn away a storm. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Number seven, cats brought luck. If uh-huh. a ship's cat came to a sailor, it meant good luck. Number eight, a child to be born on a ship was good luck. Probably not for the child. <laughs> a lot of rocking, though. Um, they probably enjoyed that. Apparently, this is where the term son of a gun comes from. Why, though? I don't know. It doesn't make okay. any sense. I don't know why it says that. This is what happens when you steal stuff from a blog. Yeah. All right. Number nine, St. Elmo's Fire, which is going to come up again in our show uh-huh. in a very prominent way in part two because it involves static electricity. And St. Elmo's Fire is the discharge of static electricity from points on a ship, such as masts and spars. According to some superstitious sea stories, 
If one flame appears, it means bad weather is coming. If two flames appear, it means the weather will be clear. It's very rare, though. We've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. It's a rare phenomenon. It is rare. Yeah. Um, and here's one for my homies. Pouring wine on the deck will bring good luck on a long voyage. Christening a ship with yeah. champagne. That's good luck. All right. So now let's talk about the bad luck. And not about the St. Elmo's Fire 80s movie. No. Okay. Uh, John Parr. I, I thought that was bad I luck. I can see those. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Whistling before song. he... Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> come on, man. It's the it's the product of its times. Yeah. Uh, but whistling at sea yes. while it is good because it, I'd heard it was thought to encourage the wind blowing. Actually, it's right here on the list. I'm yeah. glad you hadn't looked at it oh. yet. So I get to contradict you with uh, something in writing. Ooh. Whistling, number six, one widespread and universal superstition forbids whistling in the wheelhouse or anywhere on board. <laughs> For that matter, because of the same thing you said, yeah. it will raise a gale, hence the phrase whistling up a storm. So, you know what? Use it judiciously. <laughs> if you need some wind, the horseshoes, that reminded me of the horse latitudes. Yeah. In the adventurous days of, of sailors conquering other lands, they would bring horses and... Uh, there are spots, I believe, on the way to the Americas where it's it's so dead, they would have to throw the horses over to lighten the ship. So they call them the horse latitudes. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, not really great, again, for the horses. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a really – but you kept the shoes and uh, that warded off the storms. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you put okay. the shoe on the mast and throw the horse in the yeah. water. It doesn't. It's all Horrible. contradictory because you probably need a storm to get some wind going <laughs> to get you out of there. Cut neither nails nor hair at sea. Cuttings of nail and hair were offerings to Prosperine, the Roman goddess of the infernal regions, and it would make Neptune angry to have offerings to somebody else made in his domain. Ugh. Doing so would bring bad luck. I don't like dudes with long fingernails. No. I don't care if you're a Spanish guitarist, but... Well, you remember <laughs> that guy ship. in the Guinness Book of World Records when I was a kid, and they curled uh, all around super it long? It seems very inconvenient, <laughs> especially aboard ship. You got a lot of rope work to do. It is unlucky to start a cruise on Friday. Oh, well... This no. is the day Christ was crucified on. Ah. This leads to a whole urban legend that's, that's pretty fascinating, yeah. actually, that I've heard before. The reluctance of seamen to sail on a Friday reached such epic proportions that in the 1800s, the British government decided to take strong measures to prove the fallacy of the superstition. They laid the keel of a new vessel on Friday, selected her crew on a Friday, and launched her on a Friday, and named her <laughs> HMS Friday. Yeah, I've heard they of that. They then placed her in command of one Captain James Friday, and sent her to sea for the first time. On a Friday. <laughs> yeah. The scheme worked well and had only one drawback. Neither ship nor crew <laughs> was ever heard from again. Wait a second. It's a complete urban legend. Is it? Totally made up. They There's said, never been yeah. a Royal Navy ship of that name. Right. And they don't know where the story came from, but it's thought, and this is according to Wikipedia, that it may have been because it was recounted by comedian Dave Allen on his BBC TV show, <laughs> Dave Allen at Large, Series uh -huh. 1, Episode 2. Yeah. 1971. I would say if you're really, really superstitious and you did all that stuff with the Friday, I would say like, oh, you know what? It worked because you overloaded it with Fridays. Yes. You, just, you can kind of bend that back to make it work for yourself. Obviously, that story is a complete urban legend, but I'm yeah. going to tell you another very quick one that doesn't have to do with bad luck. And by the way, we're in the middle of one of our famous tangents for those of you who don't like oh. it, you might wish to choose another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're often criticized for, for these tangents, but we're always trying to make a point, and you may not see it at the time, but and maybe because we're not doing it very well, 
but it ties in with the story in maybe a roundabout way. And I got to tell you, bad luck is going to come up again. Yes, it is. And more than once. I do quickly want to mention, though, along the lines of the HMS Friday, commanded by Friday and launched on a Friday and never seen again, Mm -hmm. there is a new class of destroyer out called Zumwalt. Z-U-M-W-A-L-T. You've Mm -hmm. probably seen pictures of it Mm because you and I like the same kind of stuff. Sure. You got to take a look at this. It looks like almost exactly like um, one of the ships that you get when you play Battleship. (laughs) (laughs) They have the smooth sides now. Yes. It's it's completely uh, stealth. It's radar invasive. It's crazy looking. Look it up. Z-U-M-W-A-L-T. And while you're looking it up, you can also look up the fact that the very first one, which cost $4 billion, Uh is being commanded by Captain Kirk. No way. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a true story. All right. Well, so. the ca- and, and his captain's log. That know. was a tangent within a tangent, folks. Let's get yeah. back to the list here. Okay. Never start a voyage on the first Monday in April. This oh. is the day that Cain slew Abel. Really? Because, I don't know. I don't know. We can't go on Monday. We can't go on Friday. When are we going to go? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, oh, do, do, you, <laughs> do you know if pleasure cruises are started out of uh, this That's tradition? A question. I know that professional shipping companies yeah. take a lot of them take seafaring superstition pretty seriously. Oh yeah, no no, that, that's one of the larger points here is like I said with tradition, if you are the captain of a boat, even a small pleasure craft that's your own private property, you probably follow some of these things yeah. just because out of tradition and Hey, you know what? Even if you don't believe in it, what's the harm? Yeah. What's well, not going to hurt me? Yeah. Well, you, you might want to just don't do things to upset any forces. Let's not tempt things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Definitely do not take a Ouija board on a ship. Well, maybe that cancels it out again. It's like <laughs> having too many Fridays. But the, the Mary Celeste, there is a lot of bad luck coming up yeah. in the story. So that's why we're kind of going through this yeah. and, and talking about things that are good luck, things that are bad luck. And I'm going to ask you later if anything matched up with the Mary Celeste. Okay. Number five, avoid people with red hair when going to the ship to begin a journey. Oh, well, that's just discriminatory. Redheads bring bad luck to a ship, which can be averted if you speak to the redhead before they speak to you. Oh, <laughs> what? So apparently, it's a little kind of like a hot tuna thing there. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Number seven, Scottish fishermen landing a left boot rather than a fish is considered the ultimate in bad luck. Whenever uh, a left boot showed up in the catch inside a trawling net, fishermen would instantly spit on it before tossing it back into the water. On the other hand, those same Scots considered the right boot to be a sign of good fortune. You mean just pull, just by accident Coming pulling up, up a boot? Coming up with the right boot <laughs> in the net was looked upon as favorable, and the boot would be fastened to the mast in the belief that it would bring good fortune to the fishing expedition. You're talking about just accidentally snagging a boot that was on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Wow. I guess that is good luck. That's pretty rare. It is bad luck to name a ship for an engaged woman. This will make the ship jealous. Uh, well, the ship is a lady. Yes, it is. They always are. Sailors believed that if a cat licked its fur against the grain, it meant a hailstorm was coming. If it sneezed, rain was on the way. And if it was frisky, the wind would soon blow. Back to uh, number uh, seven, when you're pulling up. It just reminds me of Captain's Courageous when they accidentally snagged a guy, a dead guy. I don't know if you remember that. I just saw the movie with Carl Malden, and and it was like a guy passed away on on board. It was one of the crew. They bought, uh, the kid bought his, uh, his pocket knife. They actually yeah. snagged him because he had a burial at sea. He comes up, and Carl Malden says he wants his knife back. Give it back to him. So he threw it back in. <sighs> Just another example. Well, that's yeah. pretty gruesome. Yeah. Uh, but it's another example what of, movie of is these this? guys. I, th- I believe it was Captain's Courageous. Oh. And it's, of course, a famous novel. But yeah. the, the idea, though, is that there's a lot of rules. 
Yeah. And they want you to follow them because, uh, boy, if you endanger the whole the whole crew, it's not good to make people mad aboard a ship because you uh, you might disappear. Priests are not lucky to have on a ship. They dress in black and perform funeral services. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that true. Let's get on here to number 12, which applies directly to the Mary Celeste. But before we do, a quick word from one of our sponsors. I think I've made well over a dozen Blue Apron meals now, and it's a big hit in my house with my whole family. We haven't had a single meal that we didn't love. And they're all different. Yeah, they are. And I'm pretty sure that's because they send fresh, high-quality ingredients, which taste better and are better for you. I can't believe how much healthier my entire house is eating. And I also love it when I read the recipe card and it's addressed to chefs. <laughs> well, you're kind, yeah, I guess you kind of are I by do, default. I do, yeah, yeah, I feel like a chef when yeah. I'm cooking it. Well, I'm loving it too, man. I mean, th- these recipes really come together well. And everything tastes amazing. I even love the leftovers, as I keep telling you. On a weekend, <laughs> they're perfect for lunch. Yeah. It's amazing that for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. I also love the fact that there's a lot of variety. You don't see the same recipe twice within a year, and you can choose your meals from a bunch of choices or just let Blue Apron surprise you omakase style. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash astonishing. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Blueapron.com slash astonishing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, let's get back to the show. Number 12, name change. It's bad luck to change the name of a boat. This is important. If you have to, write the soon-to-be-exercised name on a piece of paper, fold the paper, and place it in a small cardboard or wooden box. Burn the box, scoop up the ashes, and throw them into the sea on an outgoing tide. If you live on a lake, do it at night and only during a new moon. River dwellers should send the ashes downstream. I'm not thinking... They did that? Yeah. (laughs) With Amazon? No, they definitely didn't, because bad stuff happened. After the name change, it sailed for another 10 or 11 years, I believe. Yes. uh, Uneventfully. Yes. As it should. It had an okay time. It had an okay time for a good good 11 years, and then not so good. Everything went haywire. And after that, not so good either. But before that, yeah, seemed to be fine. One to the point that you made earlier, when the clothes of a dead sailor are worn by another sailor during the same voyage... Misfortune will befall the entire ship. That's why it's uh, bad and probably unlaundered. A black sea bag is bad luck for a seaman. And to name the boat with a word ending in A is bad luck. I didn't know that. I don't oh, know why. Uh-huh. It doesn't, doesn't say why. Uh, but let's come back to your cat thing. If the ship's cat approached a sailor and then went away, it was mm. bad luck. What, for the about, guy? Yeah, for the guy. Now, first of all, all cats do is ignore you and walk away from you. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, how much trouble are you in if you're like on the deck, you're swabbing the deck or yeah. whatever, and the ship's cat comes up and looks at you and walks away, and then suddenly everybody you work with thinks you're bad luck. <laughs> well, again, it's not, it's not good. The perception is not good. Again, it's just it's a lot of a human behavior here. How can you tell if that's what the cat intended because they're doing that all the time anyway? 
You know, like, right. unless you have a laser pointer. You yeah. had a cat story, didn't you? Cats on ships have been good luck since ancient times, since the ancient Egyptians and Phoenicians. For very practical reasons. One, because there's rats and mice that get on board ship, and they can eat your provisions, your grain especially. They spread disease. And so, you know, cats naturally hunt them down and, and gnaw on them. So they're good to have for that purpose alone. Well, you know, they thought they were divine anyway, but they would have them on their uh, Nile River boats and they would jump off into the reeds and capture uh, birds. Right. So there you go. They're bringing food aboard, not yeah. just that dead mouse at the foot of your bed in the middle of the night. You know why cats do that? Because you it's feed a gift. them. They yeah. want to feed you too. There you go. Here's yeah, a mouse they chewed the pride. head off of. Yeah. yeah. So very nice. They just they just don't know the, value, the, the a sense of worth. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of actually great famous cat stories about you know being on board ship and bringing good luck, also avoiding disaster. So uh, two of my favorites here: the cat named Emmy, and Emmy was the ship's cat on the RMS Empress of Ireland. She was an orange tabby cat who never missed a voyage. However, on 28th of May 1914, Emmy tried to escape the ship. The crew could not coax her aboard, and Empress of Ireland left without her, which was regarded as a terrible omen. She was reportedly last seen on the roof of the shed at Pier 27, watching her ship sail out of Quebec City. Early the next morning, Empress of Ireland collided with SS Storstad while steaming through fog at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River and rapidly sank, killing over 1,000 people. Mm. Some have believed it's possible that Emmy may have somehow foreseen the ship's demise to be the reason why she refused to board her that day. I think they, they get a sense of, of badness and dread. You know, like it's uh, like earthquakes. Right, but you're obviously buying into an entire belief system. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no, this is days before, and it is it. Yeah, no, but I'm saying it's like cool, though. I'm, no, there, I'm there's down a, with it, I'm just saying. Who knows what they're sensing? Bad vibes again. But, but like with earthquakes, I believe there is some basis in this, and and then we're going to get letters. They're like, no, there's no basis in scientific uh, uh, proof of this, right? But they do seem to freak out. Uh, my favorite is the little clip of the uh, security camera of the dog kind of going nuts about 10 seconds before the earthquake hits. Right. So there is something there. But anyway, who knows what Emmy saw or felt, but like she goes on all these voyages, but not today. You guys go ahead. I'll be fine here on the roof of the shed yeah. at Pier 27. Right. So there's a famous one, though, Jenny. She was the Titanic's cat. There's several accounts of her being mentioned by crew members who survived because there were some people who survived uh, the 1912 uh, maiden voyage. She was transferred from Titanic's sister ship, Olympic, and then she uh, she gave birth in the week before the ship left Southampton. The galley is where uh, Jenny and her kittens normally like hung out and uh, and lived, and they were cared for by some folks on the uh, on the ship, like Jim, who was the scullion. So one theory is that she went down with the ship with her kittens. However, there is another story that uh, a stoker, you know, for the coal-fired yeah. uh, engines, named Jim Mulholland reported seeing them leave the ship before it even began the voyage, possibly having foreseen the disaster. But then there's rumors that uh, that wasn't the only cat with kittens on board the Titanic. Right. So two two animals, uh, cats specifically, saying, like, you know, usually I'm good luck and I'm, I'm good with this, but uh, you guys are bad luck. So if the I'm, cat I'm gets off. off the boat, don't go on the boat. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, think about this. This cat always loves to go on onto the ship. Suddenly one day it's like, nope. Sitting this one out, going to make you wonder, yeah. right? A little bit, because sailing is a very dangerous enterprise and can be, you want everything to be just right. Yeah. So when something is aboard the Mary Celeste, 
I don't think you've gotten to this one, which is a big one. Yeah. Certain people being on board, which were sometimes considered bad luck. You mean Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Captain no. Briggs' wife. Women were considered bad luck, considered a distraction and bad luck. Yeah. So many women have, of course, sailed to a, a new continents like America. Yeah. Yeah, they have to get over here somehow. And yeah, it yeah. wasn't all bad luck. Many, many successful trips. Now, that one's it's, just about dudes being afraid of themselves. Well, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a little bit of that. It's human nature. Like something is reinforced. One time something bad happens, like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's bad luck. That's an omen. No, you're absolutely right. It's, and that's the thing about superstition, especially a long list like the one we just talked about. Yeah. For me, some of them are critical. Sometimes they're rooted in some of the weather ones. It's like, no, actually, if you break this down scientifically, that makes sense. Yeah. There's a reason for it. Not that science has to be behind all of them. Yeah. And in some other cases, I think there's the superstition is just spiritually a real superstition. But I think a lot of them are just like, oh, well, you know. That happened, so that's <laughs> no. clearly bad luck forever. It's just yeah. like, you know, everybody that is, you know, follows the Red Sox or the Yankees, they all have their own, like, <laughs> I got to take a turn around in the shower yeah. three times or whatever. Curse of the Bambino. Yeah. When something bad happens the first time, people, they look for a reason. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, the cat turned around when it looked at Fred. He's bad luck. Yeah. So you want to have a belief, even though it sounds kind of crazy, but you want a reason. And then from then on... You want to avoid that reason at all costs because, like we said, why not have some insurance? If it's bad luck to have a black sea bag, a sailor to have a black sea bag, no black sea bags. Yeah. That's it. Let's just rule that out. If it's bad luck to name a boat with a name that ends in an A, let's just not do that. Let's just not do it. Let's not <laughs> but take But here's one, risks. though. It's like going, getting back to animals quickly. It's like rats seen leaving a ship is bad luck. Well, do they know something? Yeah. Do they send something? And it could be like, do they smell something on board that's not right? Yeah. Maybe it's something in the cargo. But animals I tend to trust because their senses are much more finely tuned than ours. So yeah. if they're picking up something, if I see a dog that don't, doesn't want to go somewhere, like is really well, is scared. There's a cat in a hospital somewhere that goes and yeah, sits on they, the bed with the, and then the people die the next day. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's now they have dogs that they think can sniff out tumors. Yeah. And um, cancer. Sure. And, you, and you think that sounds like magic, but no. It's not magic. No, it's not magic. When we talk about these superstitions and the Mary Celeste and possibly breaking some... If it broke 20 of these superstitions, like, maybe they were pushing it. Yeah. It had a long series of events, unfortunate events, mm -hmm. honestly, that contributed to a lot of thought about it. And it was yeah. even written about in a lot of old newspapers as... Yeah, of the time. Some, yeah. In fact, I, I've got a quote right here. Listen to this. Okay. This is from the Boston Weekly Globe from January 27th, 1886. Wow. And it's an article where Captain Winchester, who owned the primary shares in the Mary Celeste yeah, right. at the time of the problem, yeah. is talking about the salvage operation after the De Gratia uh -huh. brought her back to Gibraltar. And here's what he says with regard to her bad luck. Okay. This is what the article states, I should say. And it, does it have a byline? doesn't have a byline. Back then they didn't do that. All right. So here we go. Captain Winchester, as stated, took a captain with him and proceeded to Gibraltar, finding the vessel under the jurisdiction of a prize court. He remained there four weeks, and this uh, the prize court is the court that was trying to determine yeah, who gets who, who gets, gets the, the salvage. Right. And he remained there four weeks, appeared in court with all necessary proof that he was bona fide the owner of the vessel, but still the authorities refused to give her up. And finally, said Captain Winchester, I told him that there was nothing further for me to do, and I should go home and lay the matter before my government. 
I came home and proceeded to make up the papers to present to the government when I received a cable dispatch stating that she was released and given up to my captain whom I'd left there. When she arrived, a great many people came to look at her. But as soon as they found out her history, they would not touch her. So we brought her here, but had the same experience. As soon as her name was learned, we did not put that in the advertisement. People would say, this is the vessel with a history. We don't want her. And so we had to run her for a time ourselves. So <laughs> he couldn't sell it. He probably couldn't even convince people to put cargo on her. Well, do you buy a house where a horrible murder happened? Right. Because now there are laws, that, like in California, you have to let the uh, buyer know. Yeah. Why is that? Ghosts, man. You can Look legislate on. ghosts. I think it's one of those things where you can be explained as like the gruesome factor. Like, oh, yes, a family was chopped up here. But uh, I'm sure you folks would be fine. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> well, you know what? There's another house down the street where that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad luck. I mean, you know, but I'd rather not be sleeping in a place that that happened. Some people seek that out. That is a real thing. And I, th I believe it is a California uh, realtor law that you do have to disclose the history. I'm not sure if they have to ask you directly and you have to be honest yeah. on those things or you just have to divulge that. But, yeah, they're trying to sell it. Same thing here. They're trying to sell something that's got, you know, considered damaged goods. Yeah. Or spooky goods. Spooky goods. And uh, trying to pawn it's it off on band. them. <laughs> well, that's not a bad name. Uh, they're trying to pawn it off, but people are uh, avoiding it because... Why press your luck? Why press your luck? When we come back with part two of this series, we're going to be talking about a lot more of the specifics relating to this case with respect to not only what happened to the Mary Celeste before she turned up abandoned in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> we're also going to talk about what happened after and her ongoing history, which honestly is Almost the luck is so bad, it's hard to be believed. Yeah, and bad luck would follow it for the rest of its days. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. We'll be back on Wednesday, August 10th with part two of The Mary Celeste. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Harry's, The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com and Blue Apron. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. At T-Mobile, you don't have to choose between a great network and the best prices. We give you both. Switch your family of three or more from AT&T or Verizon to T-Mobile Essentials, and you'll save up to 50% off your current service and smartphones. Bring your current phones to T-Mobile, and we'll pay them off up to $450 each. Visit T-Mobile.com to find out how to save up to 50%. Up to $450 via virtual prepaid card for eligible device payoff. Allow 15 days. Savings may vary. See T-Mobile.com.